0: Hey, thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. To unlock the extended, ad-free, full episode, sign up at patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. Now on with the show. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown to get a free audiobook. And stay tuned for my book recommendation. That's audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Create Unknown. I am Kevin Lieber. With me, as always, is Matthew Tabor. Still in, well, still abroad, I should say. Not in Armenia anymore. Now you are in Ukraine, abroad. right?
1: Ukraine. That's right. Yes. And I'm, I've am i got one more day. I spent the morning down by the train tracks, pouring through weird blankets of stuff. And I, some of the things that, uh, that I bought, Uh, Off these train track blankets are going to uh, patrons. I got some. I got some cool little stuff. I'm, I'm pumped about it.
0: I love how matter of factly you talk about buying things off of train track blankets like yeah yeah in, i mean i went down to the train tracks and i brought some stuff off of blankets <laughs> and I'm gonna, well, to <laughs> I'm gonna give it to you some
1: pictures i'm gonna give it to you um yeah i put some pictures of it in the in the discord too uh if you're not in the discord now link is in the description jump in and you'll see uh open weekend morning markets in kiev with people on, on blankets. There was half-used half, half used medicine there. It was awesome. I didn't buy that. <laughs> but, but something equally distasteful, I think, I think is on the way, isn't
0: it? Well, for me at least, you know, I thought I was going to rope you into this as well, but I guess I'm on my own. I promised many, many episodes ago that I would eat sardines for the first time on an episode. And, uh, well, I got some, I got some, Some Tiny Tots. Look at the packaging on this. It's amazing.
1: I see that. And I want to point out that the reason Kevin is eating Tiny Tots and not our lifetime sponsor Eagle Brand sardines (laughs) is because we know that they're the best. We know that they taste the best. And this is really to see if Tiny Tots measures up to uh, to Eagle Brand.
0: It does. Yes. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I I wouldn't know because I've never eaten sardines before. But but when I was pouring over the uh, sardine options at the store, I just loved this old timey kind of uh I don't know, European packaging and I thought I'd go for this. So here we go. I'm gonna I'm gonna crack this open and uh hopefully you know, not vomit. Uh, well, in the podcast. Real quick,
1: Are they are they in olive oil or is there like a mustard flavor or anything like that?
0: They are in olive oil, yeah.
1: It actually. Okay, so these are just plain sardines in <laughs> <and> olive oil. <laughs> it
0: says that they're the finest bristling, bristling? Not bristling, finest bristling sardines. It must be a species of sardine, I suppose.
1: You're, you're about to be bristled.
0: I'm, I'm going to be bristled. They are wild-caught, lightly wood-smoked, and hand-packed for generations. Oh, it's Norwegian, a Nor- our Norwegian tradition since 1902.
1: Excellent. Excellent. And are you going to chew this? Or are you going to chew these properly and swallow? Or are you just going to do it like a live goldfish? <laughs> like a
0: live? I was good. I thought you were going to say like a like a pill, like a like an antibiotic or something. But no, like a goldfish. Um, I'm going to. I, I don't know. I'm going to eat it. I guess. i have got to chew. I think you got to chew. All right. Here we go. Uh. Uh, the can reminds me of, like, Looney Tunes cartoons.
1: <laughs> like, I, I think the old oh. ones had, like, a key. You know, the sardine, with, like, the key that you would roll the tin back?
0: Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it stinks. Uh, <laughs> I just imagine, like, a little mouse curling up, curling up to sleep in this for the night. <laughs> All right. It is pungent, let me tell you. Oh, oh! I didn't even bring napkins. <laughs> I should have brought napkins. I should have brought napkins. Uh, okay, here we go.
1: Your fingers are going to stink for a week. I
0: know. All right. <laughs> it's, okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's yeah. okay. It's all right. Yeah. It's not bad. What's it like? It's very fishy. I mean, it's, uh, I don't, I mean, I'm a big sushi guy. I love sushi. I like fish. Okay. That helps. And uh, yeah, it's just like, (laughs) it's just like a small fish soaked, absolutely (laughs) soaked in olive oil.
1: Uh, I have so much olive oil. That's got to help. The olive oil has to like contain or like temper the, the taste, right? To some degree.
0: Um, it does. Yeah. You taste mostly olive oil with like a little, you know, fishy taste to it, but it's not gross. It's not weird. And, um, I would eat that. It's
1: fine. You would eat that. Yeah. So would you buy sardines for pleasure again?
0: It's possible. It's not off the list of things I would eat.
1: (laughs) Okay. They come in a lot of different flavors. So it's, it's, you know, like a, like a sweet chili sauce and uh, mustard is popular and all of that. So you could get one that's that's got like a little tinge of flavor that you like, and then it would vault it up from like acceptable to yeah, this is actually good.
0: Yeah. So first of all, I found a, a t-shirt lying around that I'm using as a napkin, and uh, <laughs> okay. second of all, I'm I'm going to debunk the uh, you know like. The trope that sardines are this kind of nasty thing—they're not. I mean, maybe wow. if you have cheap sardines or something um, mm. that are extra salty or extra fishy, perhaps uh, I could understand. I could understand that, but let me tell you, tit—not uh, tit no, tots, tin, <laughs> tiny tots, uh, finest bristling sardines in olive oil. Are fine. <laughs> They're fine. It's not weird. It's not gross. Is
1: it? Uh... Is it good enough to get you to switch from Eagle Brand, though? That's what I'm worried about.
0: No, nothing is good enough to get me to switch from our beloved non-existent (laughs) sponsor, Eagle Brand Sardines, our fictional sponsor. Um, But look, speaking of sponsors, I want to get into Mm -hmm. talking about sponsorships and brand deals on YouTube in this episode Mm -hmm. because it's something that we've been meaning to talk about I don't know, for a year now, and it just hasn't Since really happened. Since before we started the podcast. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. When we were talking about things we would talk about, want to talk about on the podcast, one of the first ideas that we had was this topic, and we kept pushing it and pushing it, and it's timeless, so that's okay. But we never got around to it, and then, uh, yeah, when we started this up now, it's like, hey, what do you want to do this time? So, well, I think it's about time, and especially after all of the pasta discussion. Um, this is a really good time because just like with the video you made on the potato paradox, you made that video, and then there were all these questions about what a paradox is. Well, so the video after that was what is a paradox, where you talk about that. We talked about um, uh, about the pasta video, uh, which uh, LastPass was excellent uh, to sponsor, um, and then there were some questions where where I thought okay, not everybody understands how, how all of this stuff works. And so we need a brief introduction that's that same type of like, how does this ecosystem actually function in terms of sponsorships and brand deals? And for the people who have uh, uh, channels of their own, podcasts, all of this stuff, um, some, some pretty good ideas to, to get started and how to figure out how to get sponsorships.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the, the different types and also the different kinds of content that people make, mm-hmm. I think really influences what sponsors they can work with, how frequently, you know, what type of deals there are, what their audience expects. You know, it varies so yeah. wildly for for educational content that mm-hmm. takes a while. It can be really important to have those sponsorships because mm-hmm. You know, even if you get a million views, first of all, one thing that I, I think very few people realize is that just because a video has a million views does not mean that it has a million monetized views. Meaning yeah. that, oh, wow, this video. I mean, Pebbles was the perfect example of this. Psychic Pebbles <laughs> was the right. perfect example of this, where uh, if you listen to our, our interview with Psychic Pebbles, he talked about a video that he made that got 20 million views. I think
1: yeah, 22 million. It was over 20 million.
0: Over yeah. 20 right. million, which is crazy. I've never had a v- video get over 20 million views. And what did he say that that AdSense paid him on that? Was it like a hundred dollars or something?
1: <laughs> something. It, it was about it was about a thousand. A thousand. So I worked out. Yeah, I worked out the numbers on whatever he said it was, uh, and it was like forty six dollars per million views.
0: 46 dollars per 1 million views yeah.
1: maybe 48 but it was less than 50 it was in the 40s yeah um, And on top of that that monetized view count it, where those views are coming from makes a tremendous difference. So if uh, it, so look the, the big five here in terms of monetization and popularity um, are US Canada, Australia Germany and United Kingdom not in that exact order. But the, those five countries have a lot of views at a high monetization rate. There are some countries that have a high rate, just like them, or even higher. But they're smaller places; not a lot, you know, come, comes out of them. I think the, I think the uh, the amount of money per thousand views that was coming out of Luxembourg was insane. <laughs> I remember looking at it and thinking, like, oh, if there were more than seventeen people in Luxembourg, all of YouTube would be would be you know retired now. Um, but yeah, there, there are just a million little factors that go into, uh, how much a creator is actually going to get out of the views that they have. You know, when you think about creators in places that, um, that are, uh, not in the top five economically, India is a great example. There are Indian uh, channels that have tremendous numbers of subscribers they'll get you know on music, especially. Shocking amounts of views and all of this. Um, But they're in a market in India where where the uh, the rate uh, for AdSense is just like 20 percent of what it is in the U.S. So everything is going to vary based on uh, who's watching, how long they're watching, how many ads are in it, all of this. Um, But how does how does the process, Kevin, begin for for how did it begin for you? And if you can, do you remember? Do you remember the very first sponsored video video that you did?
0: That's a great question. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the first one was. I, I will say that when I like years and years ago, the market for sponsored videos was very different than it is right now. Meaning, there were a lot of Kind of traditional media companies that were really looking toward YouTube to try to be this new area of marketing for their projects, whether it's like a TV show or a movie. There were a lot of traditional media outlets that were like, "Hey, instead of you know running, well, as part of our marketing blitz for this brand new NBC show, Timeless, mm-hmm. which is one of the one of the earlier ones that I did, I believe Timeless was a a time travel show and they wanted a time travel video. And I ended up making this video about basically the invention of science fiction, Mm -hmm. which is a video that I'm really proud of. And I actually went back and watched somewhat recently. It was like happy how well it kind of stood up in terms of the research and stuff. But I mean, I wouldn't have made that video unless I had this opportunity to, do a sponsored video about like time machines basically because of this time machine show. So sometimes the brand deals inform and influence the content in a really positive way. Like it's, it's weird to say, and I don't think that the audience generally thinks of it that way. I think they Mm -hmm. probably either, either don't think about it at all and just kind of brush it aside or there is kind of like a negative connotation where It's like, oh, this is just a commercial for X, Y, Z. And in some ways it is, but in other ways it influenced a video to be made that hopefully you like that wouldn't have been made otherwise.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And before I say what I'm going to say. Um, I, I want to point out that, uh, that I work with uh, a management company, which does this kind of thing for YouTubers. Uh, I don't, I don't work with Vsauce two in that capacity, but I want to point this out because, um, I will throughout the course of this conversation, bring up examples, uh, of people I know, like I know a guy who did X, Y, and Z, you know, I can't name a name. I can't give any numbers. I, that's, that's, you just can't do that. You know, it's a violation of privacy on that stuff. Um, but uh, this is this is a good topic for us because Kevin's coming at it hard from uh, the OG creator world and has done it long enough to have seen brand deals change and sponsorships change at least, at least once or twice over the 73 years you've been YouTubing. Um, and so I'm coming from it. Uh, from the other side, which is like going over contracts, uh, talking with the creators about whether a, whether a deal can fit on their channel, whether it can fit in a particular video, um, how content, uh, attracts or does not attract brands. So there's a lot of it that that happens in this completely separate world from uh, quite a few creators and then there are some creators who do all of this stuff uh, themselves which uh, it's it's like doing a dozen full-time jobs at once so there are two worlds on this is, is my point that you've got the creator world and you've got the, the kind of business side uh, of it and uh, did you have when you when you were making videos before vsauce did you ever have any sponsorship opportunities come up
0: uh, I think I think I had, I don't know if it was before Vsauce, but I remember there was this company that just cold emailed me asking me to make a a commercial for their thing, their product called AuraPup, which was,
1: (laughs) I remember this, this was like eight years ago, a
0: long time ago, which which was like something for your dog's bad breath. It was some sort of like (laughs) tongue brush. (laughs) It's like a tongue brush for dogs. Uh, so I ended up making this really awful and weird video <clears throat> that was ostensibly like an aura Pup commercial from another dimension. <laughs> and I don't know what they I don't even remember what they paid me for that. I think they gave me like you know the free aura pup and I don't know maybe fifty bucks or something like that.
1: yeah, I seem to I seem to remember them giving you like a hundred dollars in, in product some something along those lines.
0: Yeah, I think that was it. But but otherwise <laughs> I'm amazed that you say that some creators uh land and negotiate these deals on their own because I've always worked with companies who that's all they do all day. You know, all they yeah. do all day is they have the relationships with the brands first of all, which is mm-hmm. vital because if you don't know anybody at you know, Squarespace or Skillshare or Wix or whoever it is, Dollar Shape Club, then Mm -hmm. how are you even going to get their attention? Because you can't, I mean, you can, some of these places you can cold email. They have like a, are you an influencer? Like send us, Mm -hmm. send us a message or whatever. But that seems pretty hard to get through with the amount of people that must be inundating them with, please give me money to talk about your product sort of thing. So I've always worked with people who have those relationships who are constantly negotiating deals and that's literally their full-time job. Mm-hmm.
1: If you do cold, I mean if you do the cold calling uh, with a brand and like you said, some of these brands are so big and so common that they have that kind of hotline email set up where you can shoot them a message, give them your basic channel stats uh, and a link, and hope to hear from them um the problem is that takes forever you know i i wouldn't be surprised to hear get a return on the email uh, like a couple months after sending because there are tens of thousands of people emailing them and they really do have to to look at every one at least give it 10 seconds to click that link and see if the channel is is something that is is worth working with for them Um, but you you kind of touched on the two the two ways this is done and one of them is getting getting contacted, getting a cold email out of the blue. Uh, which the, you know the range of possible sponsorships there, like from insane, strange, weird things to uh, completely normal, good, high level, high level brand deals. Um, but in that case, you're dependent on what comes in or what doesn't come in. Um, the other thing is to uh, go, go get it yourself, whether that's you finding the partners you want to work with or having somebody do it on your behalf. Uh, like, you know, you mentioned working with agencies and, and uh, uh, people like, like what I do uh, where, you know, they understand what your channel is and they have relationships with these companies and they can present that channel and negotiate, you know, some kind of deal so that the creator themselves doesn't have to do all that. Um, it's very much, uh, very much like, like the, the old sayings about being your own lawyer, you know, uh, where, uh, you're at a massive disadvantage if you don't get help. Okay. Because number one, knowing how much to charge is extremely, extremely difficult. And because of the things we talked about at the beginning, the wide variations in how channel demographics turn into actual money, you don't know necessarily how to value your channel based on on those stats. It's really tough, okay. And one of uh, one of the best ways to do it, one of the most effective ways, and probably the most effective way, is to be able to compare it to a lot of other channels. And so, a management organization knows what the other you know, 15 clients are getting for their videos and how you fit into that. Um, So that's, that's a really critical thing. And it takes a very, very long time to figure out, uh, you can gain that knowledge over time, totally possible. Um, but it's going to be a slog. It's going to take years to collect enough data and talk to enough people, uh, which is, Also tough. Uh, It's really tough, even with friends, people you're close to who are YouTube creators, to find out what they got, because nobody wants to talk about how much money they make. You know, if they got a great deal, they don't want to kind of brag about that. If they're not sure, they don't want to throw out a number and have somebody say, whoa, that's all you got? What's wrong with you? So there's not a lot of information sharing among people at all, at all. So it's it's a hard, hard environment for the channels that, that are starting, want to be monetized, and grow. They, they rarely know where they stand.
0: Well, and also from the actual brand side, from, from from their perspective, it doesn't also necessarily continue to scale. The brand deals don't continue to scale necessarily beyond a certain point. Meaning, if you get 2 million views per video, it's not necessarily that you're going to get a brand deal that's worth that. Because it's possible that the brand just kind of has like a ceiling on their marketing budget of what they're willing to spend on one video. Because if that video performs poorly, they could have spread that same amount of marketing budget across a bunch of videos, therefore, like largely increasing their, uh, their chances that one of them hit really well. So the type of marketing that you see or the type of brand deals you see a lot right now are performance-based where you have a link in the description that's a tracking link and depending on how many people click and then depending on how many people convert, they gauge that against how much they paid for that advertising and they develop uh, an ROI or, or a customer uh, acquisition You know, number that they want to hit basically. So, say, let's say that just think of any brand deal that you've seen on YouTube. Imagine that they want to pay or they're comfortable paying $17 per customer. Okay. So, they're going to pay, you know, X amount of dollars to hopefully gain that (laughs) amount of new customers or new signups at about $17 per sign-up. And if they hit that, then they're really happy. If they don't, then they're really not happy. And a lot of things can happen when they're really not happy, one of which might be they could they could influence you to do another shout-out for their product kind of for free yeah. to make up for it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Depending on how a contract is structured, if there's some type of threshold that you need to hit, whether it's conversions on signups or even a raw number of views, if you don't hit that, uh, they say, Hey, we had a contract and you guaranteed us this much activity. What are you going to do to make up for it? (laughs) And usually that means uh, you put them in as a sponsor on a second video to say, you know, as a gesture of goodwill and and to keep them happy. And that's, you know, that's an okay way of solving the situation. That's cool. But it means that you've made a video where you did a sponsorship and got no additional money for it. So it's a really dicey game figuring out what, what levels should be in a contract, right? Because you want to, you want to get paid for the most activity possible for sure. Whether it's, uh, you know, views or, or commissions on something, whatever. But, Boy, you don't want to overpromise. You cannot, you cannot promise what you can't deliver. And so that's the balancing act. Is it's it's like the Price Is Right thing. It's like how high can I bid without going over? Right. Um, you you do not want to go over, but you don't want to undervalue yourself either. Uh, and I've talked to, uh, I've talked to several different uh, creators this year, who, who basically undervalued themselves a lot as they were doing grand deals themselves because they didn't want to be in a bad situation uh and the reason they they went to get help you know from somebody else whether it's an organization or an individual person who's kind of managing them uh is because those people tend to get a a more ac- more accurate picture they can get to a number and a ceiling that is better than than uh, the guess that the the creator usually has
0: yeah because you want everybody to be happy. You want like you you need to be at a good place as the creator, the brand needs to be at a good place as the the people spending the money on the advertising. And then the audience needs to be in a good place where they don't feel like this video has been compromised or, you know, their time has been wasted by being pitched something that they weren't expecting and they don't want to hear about. Or they've heard about a million times because it's the same brand that they've heard over and over and over again on a bunch of different channels. Because let's face it, there just are not a lot of these brands that are really, really heavily invested in advertising on YouTube in this way. There used to be, I feel like there used to be a much more diverse clientele i guess for brand deals and i don't i don't i feel like that has like narrowed over the years for whatever reason where now you're just kind of seeing the same sort of brands pop up over and over again
1: the segmentation too and the patterns that have developed with audiences mean that uh that one person is likely to see a lot of the same sponsors over and over. So for for example, there's so much stuff on YouTube, right? That in a way that there wasn't in 2012, uh, where in 2012, like you knew who all the biggest creators were hands down. I mean, you could just like name them all. And now uh, since I started this sentence, there are like 53 new 12 year olds with a million subscribers. Who knows? And so uh, it's, you know, I don't know what goes on. In those sectors, but take something like like uh, video game channels, right? They're more male than female. They're, they trend a little younger. There are companies that that can cater to an entire sector uh, because whatever they're advertising, uh, let's say it's a mobile app game or something like that, um, it just does better with that demographic. And so the people in that demographic are watching all the content from the channels that that company is just slamming hard on. So that means they see you know, the same ad seven times. Uh, whereas if it was old YouTube and they were really watching a big, big cross section uh, instead of this kind of pattern of content, then they would see more diverse advertising. But I, wa- I want to go back to something you talked about. you said something was authentic or not, because I think there really are two types of, of sponsorships, well, two, 2.5. Yeah. So one of them is really doing an ad. Like I didn't want to put it that way, but there's no other way to put it where, where a company pays you to say something is awesome. And then you say that thing is awesome. Okay. Um, and everybody does some of those, um, some people do a lot more than others, you know, and they'll do uh, an ad for anything, but where do you draw the line on, uh, deciding like, you know, I can't, I can't put a commercial for this thing in my content. I don't feel comfortable. Where, where, how do you navigate that?
0: Well, that's a good question. I think that I have to think that the thing that I'm supporting actually is good and that people will like it. Um, I'm trying to... Because I had a situation pop up. All right, I'll I'll just talk about it, whatever. I had a situation pop up (laughs) where I had two VPNs that wanted to do a deal with me, okay? And I had both VPN deals on the table, like, waiting for me to sign. So, first of all, VPNs, I think, are great. uh, as, As a thing for people to have, especially... I think especially if you're traveling, like nothing kind of freaks me out more than being on the airport's Wi-Fi. <laughs> I just, I just feel like, all right, all of my <laughs> data is going to be stole, uh, stolen because I'm on airport Wi-Fi right now. But I kind of need to be because I'm going to be sitting here for the next two and a half hours and I'm going to go insane unless I have something to do.
1: So- oh, can I tell you something real quick because it's related to this? Because I'm thinking as you're talking about this, I'm like, dude, I've spent two weeks on some of the jankiest connections <laughs> in the, I bet. in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but at uh, this event in Armenia, this is quite funny. They had a lunch sponsored by, um, by uh, Moscow city government. Okay. And I missed that lunch because we were finishing up uh, the script on, on the next video. And it was just a lunch. And like, I don't, ha- I don't need to talk to the delegation from Moscow anyway, but they gave everybody there, which is almost, it was basically like, Two dozen journalists and me. I counted as a journalist, uh, but, you know, not quite the same thing. So anyway, the two dozen journalists there, they gave them this crystal USB drive, like thumb drive. Mm -hmm. It's heavy, very heavy. It's like Swarovski type crystal uh, with this like beautiful silver cap that goes on it. And everybody that I talked to who got it was so uncomfortable. And the consensus was like, gee, should I take – should I really take this thumb drive given to me by some minister in the, the Russian government who I've never met before who knows I'm a journalist and just plug that into my computer? Like what could go wrong? <laughs>
0: Seriously. Like the, the the pros versus the cons are like way in one like one column on that one. Yeah.
1: So nobody wanted it. (laughs) And they were like, oh, you missed the lunch. Do you want my thumb drive? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, Immediately I'm thinking like, yeah, man, I'm not plugging that in either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Here's
0: this gift for us to uh, hack into your computer and steal everything. You're welcome. (laughs) We'll make it look really pretty.
1: So sorry for the uh, the sidetrack oh on that. But that they, they, they shows like VPNs are an important thing. It, like you said, when you're traveling, even when you're not, when you're just going to a cafe, uh, you know, using Starbucks Wi-Fi, it's, it's – uh, you just – you don't – you really don't want to not have a VPN. So those are legitimate. You have these two offers. It's a legitimate service that you feel good about. I know the two companies uh, that were on the table for you. They're both very good companies. They have different kind of tiers of service. They do things differently, but they're both reputable. They're both great. So this was good all around. So what did you do when you had those two?
0: Okay. So step one was, do I want to promote a VPN? You know, do I want to promote this product is step one. So the answer to that was yes, because I felt like, well, people, it's a good match, Vsauce 2 audience is very tech savvy. You know, they, they probably want to secure their phones and their and their laptops and their tablets and all that stuff. So I think that they should know about this VPN. But step two was, okay, I have these two offers from competing VPNs and they're actually, I can figure out a way to promote both of them. Like I could promote both of them. I could do two different videos, one promoting this VPN and one promoting this VPN. And I felt wrong about that. I was like, well, I just feel weird, honestly, and kind of disingenuous promoting both of them because I don't feel like I can, in a video with a good, clear conscience, say, hey, this is the best VPN. You should definitely get it. And then turn around three weeks later and say, hey, this is the right. best VPN. You should get it. Like That's, that's messed up to me. And I don't want to do that.
1: And that's probably – probably even was more than three weeks. I bet it was three months uh, with – because in most of those contracts, there's an exclusivity period. Not in this can't... one. Yeah, I remember yeah. talking to you about that. I'm like, I could not believe – that that wasn't a provision in those contracts. Yeah. So I'm like, well, technically you could do this. But most of the time, if you do something like that, you can't do anything with a competitor for at least 90 days. Sometimes it goes a whole year. Yeah. And so as, you know, from the creator point of view, with what Kevin's saying here, you know, th- think about what he's saying uh, when he's, he's talking about, do I want to promote a VPN? Okay, well, or whatever, whatever the thing is. Do I even want to do this product? Well, you'd better be sure about it because uh, you are not going to be able to go with a different one most of the time for several months. You know, the, the shortest I've seen is 60 days, uh, but, but they do, they do go uh, for a year. And sometimes there's, there's a provision, if somebody doesn't read the contracts carefully, where it's like, where you have to terminate it Okay. And if you don't terminate, it auto re- renews for like another year. And then if you That's messed do up. something, oh, it's terrible. There's some bad contracts yeah. out there. Uh, but if you do something with a competitor, then you're in breach of that original one. And you forfeit, like it, it gets messy and, and terrible. So it all starts with what Kevin's explaining here with, do I really want to do this?
0: Do I really want to do what the product is? Then Then I was like, do I want to do two different competitors. The answer to that was no. So then I decided, okay, which one of these do I think is the better option? So then I did a bunch of research on those two competitors and I landed on one that I felt like, okay, if I'm going to promote and endorse one of these two, I'm going to go with this one because in the research that I've done, it seems like this is the superior product to me. I feel like this is the superior product to tell people about. So I'm going to go with this one and the other one I canceled. I just said, look, I can't do it. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, and, and, and that's that.
1: So mm-hmm. so that... And that's something that... Oh, sorry. Uh, that's something that is is such a huge, important lesson, whether somebody has a thousand subscribers or 10 million is that unless like your mom needs life sage- saving surgery in a week and you're broke uh, and you absolutely need this brand deal immediately, it's completely okay to say no. Like there, <laughs> there are going to be more brands there are going to, there's going to be more money. Like you can always, you can always find something. Right. And so uh, you, you said no because you thought, the right way to proceed is to go another way which means i say yes to one i say no to another a lot of people don't say no and they trap themselves in pretty much situations that you just described that you wanted to avoid
0: well i always think about all this stuff in the long term you know i want to continue to do i've done this for a really long time already i would like to continue to do this for a long time and there are a lot of considerations that go into that and one of the big things is just not burning the audience or not making the audience feel like, you know, you are a sellout because Mm -hmm. that's not a good thing. And I know, because that's the other thing I I kind of wanted to get into a little bit on this is like, are YouTubers just these like greedy, money-hungry people? Like they don't really need to do these brand deals, right? Like they're just... And some of them are, sure, just like in any sector. In any sector, you're going to have people who who don't have – who don't care. They don't have integrity. <laughs> they don't have pride in what they do. They just don't have – like any sort of value system by which they live by and they make gross decisions. And hopefully like people notice that. And you know, I know of a YouTuber I'm thinking of right now who was bragging to me one time about like his $7,000 shoes and not everybody is like that. There are some, I I like to think that they are a small minority of creators Uh, Maybe they're not, maybe they're just a small minority in the groups that I run with, you know, but for the most part, I think that what the brand deals accomplish at this stage in YouTube is allowing creators to continue to make content because especially in, okay, especially like long form content or content that takes a lot of research And a lot of editing and just a lot of time because look, the more time you put into something, the more expensive it becomes, no matter what it is. If you can just make, if you could just turn on, you know, your camera, and 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 talk about your day, and then immediately upload that without any edits, that's pretty cheap. That's a pretty cheap thing to slap together, and you don't really need a whole lot of help with that, but. As soon as you need to like hire one person to help you make anything, all of a sudden it's like, holy cow, uh, people actually Mm -hmm. want to get paid like really well to, you know, spend their time. Cause it's one thing for a creator to spend all of your own time on something like as me, like as Kevin Lieber, I could happily spend 80 hours a week making whatever and, that's fine. Like, who cares? It's my time. But as soon as you ask somebody else to say, Hey, can you help me make my thing? They're like, sure. But you know, you, I need to like have money to buy food and, (laughs) and like pay my rent. So that's going to end up costing you, you know, X amount of dollars. And before you know it, you're like, Oh my gosh, like I need to make X amount of dollars. Uh, a lot more boom, boom, boom. than, uh, you know, yeah. I need to pay for my own, you know, macaroni and cheese uh, f- <laughs> t- to make my own videos. <laughs> Abe Vagoda B. Arthur, and Michael Crichton walk into a bar in heaven together and they play a game of Mad Libs. And the Mad Libs sentence goes like this. I blank my blank in her blank. Abe Vagoda goes first and he says, I snuck my salami in her taxes. Everybody says, ha ha. Very funny, Abe Vagoda. So B. Arthur comes up next and B. Arthur says, I crammed my fist in her face. And everyone's like, whoa, B, like hold off with the aggression, you know, this is the afterlife, we're in heaven, like, you can relax now with your, your brute strength. And then Michael Crichton finally goes and he says, I downloaded my audiobook to her smartphone. <laughs> This is so dumb, but you know it's not dumb. Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton. You can you can get that as an audiobook if you go to audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown. You know they made a movie out of this? Yeah, it was called Jurassic Park. It was uh, directed by Steven Iceberg. And it was pretty popular, but you could read the book by Michael Crichton by going to audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown. You'll support this podcast and you'll also hear the Story that that movie, that obscure movie, was based off of. And it's different. It's not exactly the same. The movie's different. The book is different. So listen to the book. Because you're different. (laughs) Okay. AudibleTrial.com slash TheCreateUnknown. Go there. Uh, You can cancel any time. 30-day free trial. B. Arthur will attack you. If you don't
1: there are a couple levels to what you just what you just said too, uh, where uh, the style of content some some channels lend themselves to an incredible variety of brand deals. you can't really do a deal for dolls you probably you know, you can't be sponsored by on Vsauce 2. It probably wouldn't be a good look if it was like a condom company, you know, <laughs> because you do educational videos like this and it's, uh, you know, serious uh, content like that, um, as opposed to something that's really super goofy, pure entertainment fun. Uh, you have you have to think about the channel's reputation, how your audience is going to respond, what their expectations are. There are some channels where absolutely anything goes like they, they, can, they can do a sponsorship of any kind at all. And their audience is either not going to care or absolutely love the craziness of it all. So that's a factor, too. Uh, and, and what you were just saying, where, you know, some stuff takes a lot of research, a whole lot of editing. Um, uh, it's it's a different story. You know, uh, you're not just pushing the record button and doing a one-take vlog and uploading that um, with the videos like what you do. Some people do that and do a great job. But these are two different scenarios in terms of funding this enterprise if it is a job. And what you finished with is, is basically that at some point this turns into a business, whether it's a tiny, tiny, tiny one or it's a big one that employs a bunch of people. And that's when things, that's when things change, you know, you said food and uh, a place to sleep and all of that. Well, depending on what country you're in, maybe it's, maybe it's health insurance stuff uh, that employees have to have. Um, Maybe there's not quite enough work for full-time people and you have this network of uh, little subcontractors. Well, that's really tough to keep track of in in tax terms, okay? And so I want to segue here into what happens to the money that comes in, okay? Where uh, a a sponsorship grand deal comes in. And Kevin, tell me if... I'm just going to shoot from the hip on this with total estimates, Okay. But let's say anywhere from 10 to 20% goes to the person who found that.
0: Deal. 10 to 30%. It, it, 10 to 30%. To 30.
1: Yeah, 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 30. Yeah, sorry. Um, it, it totally depends on the relationship and what that company does for you. Some really just kind of hook you up with, with the deals and you take it from there. Others take care of every facet of, of securing it. Um, like I was on an email chain in 48 hours two weeks ago regarding one single deal, we had 56 emails. Okay. So, (laughs) so uh, a lot is happening, you know, over there. And some people really earn that higher percentage. So let's call it 20% in the middle. So now you're down to 80% of your money. Um, you should have, you should have a lawyer take a look at this stuff. Uh, and that's usually going to run about 5%. They should sign off on the contract to make sure that there's nothing in there that's going to go really badly for you. And it sucks to give up that 5%, but it sucks way more to be bitten by a bad contract. And we've seen that with uh, – what was that? Uh, the guy from FaZe um, that was a big issue like two months ago with his contract that was not good. The FaZe Clan thing? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Where he said no, he said Yeah, he said he wasn't yeah. getting paid anything and yeah. blah blah yep. blah that blew up yeah, yeah. And that was all a contract issue that yeah you're right a lawyer and and, and, I, and I, the people that are usually managing brand deals are not lawyers like this is a separate no. thing and having a no. separate lawyer you know looking out for you in the long term mm-hmm. as well as the short term is is usually worth it <laughs> if you want to continue yep. in this business for a while
1: So we're down to 75. Let's take another 5% out for, uh, somebody functioning in an accounting capacity. Okay. This stuff has to be done, you know, reasonably by the books, uh, because, uh, eventually you're going to have to be taxed, you know, report this as income. This is your job. Uh, and even just keeping the books straight, even if you didn't have taxes, you'd need to keep the books straight so that you know how much everything was. Um, Maybe you pay maybe you pay an editor to to help you out like that 's very very common to have expenses like uh, editing the video a little bit of audio engineering uh assorted assorted stuff that has to happen with your video to make it top notch that 's probably another ten percent in the end so now we 're down to sixty percent um I think it's fair that about ten percent of of most of the sponsorship deals go toward what I would call like capital expenses, where it's, you know, maybe it's some element of uh, gear, you know, you're constantly getting stuff that you need to make the videos, whether it's camera stuff, computer stuff, uh, props, set pieces. It's, it just adds up, man. You know how that, how many times do I wake up in the morning? And you're like, yeah, give me 10 minutes. I've got to order a, a whatever cable, because mine broke and i need it to make this thing happen and boom there goes $28.
0: Yeah, 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 equipment yeah. and props and stock footage is really expensive if you if you actually like <laughs> yeah. license stock footage. If you go to like Getty Images and try to license like a single mm. picture, it's like $700. It's completely <laughs> crazy because those are set up yeah. 100% just to rip off traditional media companies. Like NBC will have a Getty Images account and they just connect it to their Scrooge McDuck yeah. vault of money. But even like Shutterstock or Pond5, you know, the ones who are really geared towards consumers more so than it's still, you're looking at like 200 bucks for like a, yeah. a clip of the Coliseum that's in HD. Like it's a lot of money.
1: Right. And if you don't use uh, something that, yeah, do, if you don't do it legitimately, you may very well have a copyright claim and go through a mountain of garbage to uh, get your video back up. Or maybe it'll get demonetized in the meantime as you're sorting that out. Like, they, that's, that's terrible. That's a rotten process, you know. We have, uh, we have a friend who, who's basically 100% on winning his copyright cases. Uh, he always deals in fair use. Uh, that's awesome. But it's really time-consuming and tiring. You know, so he knows he's going to win, but it's still a terrible thing that he's he's got to skip. You know, so that's another expense. We're down to fifty percent right now. We're down to fifty percent. Okay. Um, if you stop there, you have the value of the brand deal, and then you're going to pay taxes on it. Okay. And that changes based on the country you're in. It could be as high as 50% more. So you'd be down to 25%. Um, Depending on how you're taxed, if you're in the US, it can be taxed on an individual level or you're taxed through something like an LLC, which is, it's a bit less. Um, But let's say, let's say another 20% is going to come out. Okay. So you take this brand deal. Let's, let's call it $10,000 because that's an easy number. Okay. You're probably going to be left with like 3000. So, you know, that's like, that's okay. Kind of, it depends. Um, again, if you're in the U S you need to pay for, you need to pay health insurance premiums. If you're an individual person, you know, like, uh, not part of a big company where it's part of the plan or something like that, that, that could be six, $700 maybe. Um, you know, all things said and done, you might have 2000 left after your bills. Uh, and you're looking at making, you, you know, 25000 $25, a year, which um eh, not a bad gig. I mean, it's that's not a lot of money, but being a, in the YouTube industry is, is pretty sweet, you know, in terms of uh, being able to do it on your own time and, and do what you want. So you make that trade-off. But my point on this is that You could start and say, yeah, man, I get $10,000 to make a video, uh, and I can pump out one of those a month. This looks really good on paper. And then by the time you get to the end of that paper, uh, you're like, you know, you're not blowing anybody away when you talk about your income.
0: Well, and there are a couple other things too to consider. One is like, how long is that sustainable for? Like how long... Is the content that you're making going to be relevant enough and how long are you going to have the energy to create it to pull in those deals and make $25,000 a year? The other thing is how long do you want to, like, I don't know, live with a bunch of roommates making YouTube videos in your, like, in your bedroom? And the answer to that could be for the rest of your life, maybe, but I doubt it. I doubt after... (laughs) <laughs> a certain number of years, you want to just keep doing that. You might want to have your own place. You know, you want, might want to move out. You might want to, I don't know, like buy a home eventually. So all this... You might st- even
1: want to move to just a more expensive area. I mean, some places are really cheap to live in and others others aren't, you know. And like I talk to British creators sometimes and, you know, they're in a small city, small time or a small town. And it's like, hey, you know, I have... All these friends in London, the YouTube uh, creators I know, they're in London or they're in, uh, you know, a different city where there's a concentration. Well, London's more expensive than, uh, you know, S- Southwest Buckleby, you know, <laughs> like Bean Pot, whatever, uh, Barton in the Beans. That's what I'm trying to. Oh think yeah. Of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so and I and I face that too. Uh, like I live way out in the country, uh, away from from anything, partially because it's really inexpensive. If I wanted to go to, uh, you know, to Manhattan or, or even Brooklyn, where a lot of people I know are working, uh, all of a sudden I would need to make a lot more money, a lot more, like five times more.
0: <laughs> yeah. You, so, Oh my gosh. And in the YouTube business, I mean, you, you, yeah, you need to make five times more money to live there. And then also, you have a million times more problems shooting videos because yep. you're living in a metropolitan area that's really noisy, that's really unpredictable, and you don't have a lot of options. I mean, Casey Neistat's the only one I ever thought made that work in New York City. Mm. You know, he, yeah, because true. he literally used New York City as his backdrop as his house (laughs) his videos were new york city but otherwise all the other all the other new york city creators i know just about almost without exception there are a couple that still are there left they moved to la or they moved someplace else because being a youtuber in new york city kind of rough it's kind of a rough gig Mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons
1: yep and this stuff scales, too. So when I'm talking about these percentages, I, I use 10,000 for an example. Let's say we're talking about a really big, uh, successful channel that that also can put integrations in, can put sponsorships in constantly, and they're pumping out videos, okay? So uh, so not something like a Vsauce where you're not releasing a video every day, you know? But let's say it's, it's one where, like, every two or three days, you're pumping out a video and you can rack up these sponsorships uh you get to a point where you know you you pull a million dollars well based on the percentage that we just did that hits you know really more like two hundred fifty thousand, which still sounds like a lot but when you're that big you're hiring several different people you're like in the example that we made it was for just a pretty much a normal setup where there's a creator who gets the help on, on smaller things like like the editing and the audio and stuff, uh, little contracts like that. But when you're big, it goes back to the thing you were saying about hiring full-time employees, and they are really expensive. It adds up just to a, a shocking degree. So even if you got a million, you might be left with, with a quarter of that, and then that gets eaten up by the people who, who are helping you continue that. And so you can pull in lots of money and uh, basically have a really thin thin profit margin on the whole thing. so that's normal in business, right like uh, grocery stores, the profit margin you know is like one and a half percent it's insane, which means you know for every hundred dollars of of food that they sell, they make it you know a dollar fifty the gas companies also have a like gasoline companies have a really small profit margin. Um, You know, they make a lot of money because they're so big, but on the actual service they provide, they really almost make nothing. So that's normal in business, but two things come into play. You know, one, this is your life mixed in with the business. So you sink or swim based on these numbers. And number two, uh, you said a, a few minutes ago, You really don't know how long this is gonna last and you don't know how consistent it's going to be. And this goes, like so many factors go into the consistency, like the time of year it is, okay? Um, uh, January is a really slow month for sponsorships because companies have a fresh annual budget, It's the beginning of the first quarter of the year. They're in no rush to spend. They don't need to go out and blow money.
0: Because they just blew Um, money around in Q4. Because they just blew most of their (laughs) budget like a month ago in December. Yeah. And now they're like, yeah, let's kind of like figure out what we're doing this year. So, yeah, there's not a whole lot going out in January or February for that matter.
1: No, it ebbs and flows based on the calendar. Uh, you might have you might have two videos three videos in a row that that just don't perform that well and that's normal in the cycle of YouTube <laughs> right like uh, if you make 10 videos by default uh, the bottom three are gonna be the bottom three right so uh, no matter what uh, the views and all the stuff that they're making the financial decisions based on uh you get some bad streaks. And so then the company looks at you and starts, uh, the companies value you less because they say, well, you average, let's say, 500,000 views a video, but you know the last few, you've gotten 300,000 or 250,000 average. How do we know that ours isn't going to be 250,000 too? It's a perfectly sensible objection. It's not, like they're, it's not like they're going out of their way to lowball you. They're really legitimately asking that question, you know, like, is it going to perform the way your videos did three months ago or the way the last two videos did? Correct. So, uh, you know, you got to, what we were talking about at the very beginning, you've got to make that balance between the best for you, but also what you can definitely deliver on. So you may have to take the sponsorship prices down. So you've got, you've got this wild fluctuation during the year based on factors out of your control, like the calendar, uh, and maybe even the market you're in. I don't know a lot about some of the specifics, but I'm sure like if you do video game stuff, there are hot spots in the year for video games and and some dead spots where nobody's releasing stuff. Um, but yeah, you've got that. And then you've got Responses to the natural fluctuation of how your channel performs. So you can swing wildly on the amount of money that's coming in. And once you have these people, whether it's uh, the, the editors, somebody's helping you with scripts, somebody's filming for you, um, somebody's doing the accountancy, whatever it is, <laughs> you've just got like this uh, just almost unpredictable rise and fall of your fortunes and you have no idea how long it's going to last.
0: That's the big thing to me is how long it's going to last because I I find it so funny when there are discussions like whatever happened to X, you know, like what happened to this creator? And it's like, well, what happens to all entertainers, which is, (laughs) They are popular, and then they're not anymore. I mean, this has happened in every sector of entertainment. It yeah. even happens in business. It's like, well, what happened to Circuit City? What happened to Radio Shack? It's like, well, you know, <laughs> Best Buy and Amazon wiped them out. You know, that somebody else came along, and now Radio Shack is irrelevant, yeah. just like whatever creator you're thinking of is irrelevant or whatever musician there was a tweet earlier today that I saw. It was like, whatever happened to, uh, oh, Justin Wang tweeted, like, what happened to Fetty Wap? Because Fetty Wap, <laughs> Fetty Wap was like really popular a few years ago and now he's not. Yeah. It's like, well, that's just literally what happens is, you know, yeah. you're hot today and yeah. you're forgotten tomorrow. So I hope that, you know, we, ne- yeah. we, we have elucidated a little bit of kind of like what the landscape is behind the curtain of this because there's a lot to think about not only for a creator and for their, you know, longevity and for their life, but also sort of what the brands are also thinking, you know, I would love to, at some point, if we could get somebody from the brand side on this podcast to really understand like, Hey, like, what is it that you guys are looking at? What, um, is a success? What is a, what is a failure? What are your goals? That sort of thing. Because I think it, would be really helpful look at the end of the day like I just want to understand things like that's what I'm kind of kind of if you've watched Vsauce 2 you know that I like to understand things and the more that I think that we can understand about this landscape I think the better off everybody will be within it
1: yeah and I want to follow up on Uh, you know, another edition of, of this kind of brand dissection, because there's really, there is so much left that we haven't talked about. You know, we can't, we can't uh, continue that now because it would take forever. But uh, this is something that that I I really think we should come back to because even if you're not a creator and you don't care on the surface about like how to get a brand deal, it's, it's actually not about that because when you understand the way this, like the, the brand and sponsorship ecosystem works you actually start to see the way this shows up in certain types of content. So if you're just, if all you do is watch YouTube videos and enjoy great people on YouTube, good content, it's still important to understand how the advertising and sponsorships work because it truly can affect and steer content. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but knowing when that's happening really transforms a lot of videos uh, that I watch. And the other thing that I really want to get to the next time we talk about this is how you don't have to have a million subscribers uh, to to do this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I met a girl at uh, 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 VidCon who has a a very cool channel. Uh, She was doing live streams um, on on YouTube in a highly defined niche. Okay, and I think she had fifteen hundred subscribers she had a brand partnership with 1500 subscribers because she went out and got uh, made a relationship with a perfectly appropriate company for her co- her content um and that's a, sem- a really seminal thing to understand too is that yes it's cool when a big youtuber gets an email saying you know we'll give you 80 billion dollars to you know like advertise uh, this this stupid thing yeah that happens and that's cool but there are people with literally hundreds of subscribers who are making more money than the ones uh, than ones with 10 25 even 50,000 and then 100,000 too uh, because they get wh- what the value is of a sponsorship to the sponsors uh, know how to find good partners they have a well defined audience that can actually interact with those brands like yeah, it's it's really cool when you start to, to go deep on that stuff. And so I, I want to do that another time uh, because there's some huge, awesome lessons uh, about pulling value out of really small, really small projects.
0: And the value comes because everybody ultimately should win in that scenario. And that's the other thing that I, yeah. I want to emphasize is if you do it well, then again, the brand is happy, the creator is happy, but also the audience is happy. Whenever I'm on these phone calls with these mm-hmm. brands, and they're like, Here, you know, here's our goals, blah 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 blah. I'm like, here's my goal. <laughs> the audience has to be happy about this, or else this is useless for for, for everyone. Because yeah. at the end of the day, yeah. we I make videos for people who watch them, and that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's the whole thing. Like that's the only reason I I. I am happy to make videos Well, it's one of the reasons I should say that I'm happy to make videos is when people are happy and excited to watch them. It's not like I make videos and then just leave them buried on, on an external hard drive and never show anyone. Okay. (laughs) Like that, maybe people do that and like more power to them, but I upload them to YouTube so that people can get some joy and some value out of them. But let's move let we we have to wrap this up let's go through our wormhole I yep. know that you have some questions from our patrons that we're yep. gonna hit the wormhole is at patreon.com slash the create unknown where we get to answer your questions it's all about you guys so uh, what are we what are we hitting today what do we got
1: with questions yeah 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 oh let me pull it up. let me pull it up uh, we have we have some a uh frivolous ones uh about your personal life kevin
0: oh that is uh, that is frivolous they, this is my personal life
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, they range from uh some really specific specific questions uh, about uh, about the pasta video there are one or two that it would really be good but you know what i'm going to tease one of these questions because I, I really loved it uh james who is one of our resident australians uh asked a really awesome question. He said, given the average age of a Vsauce 1, 2, and 3 viewer, how long do you think before the next Neil deGrasse Tyson or Elon Musk says Vsauce when asked what their, uh, who their inspirations were? That's a good question, isn't it?
0: Wow. Yeah, that's a great yeah, question. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he asked that on, uh, oh, it, like two weeks ago, right? Two weeks ago, he asked that. And uh, we, didn't, we didn't get to that uh, when we recorded the last one. And that question has been like bouncing around my skull for for you know weeks now, wanting to know uh, what you think about it, what your answer is, and and me thinking like I think I've had probably four different answers to that that one question.
0: Okay, so so let's get into that. Yeah, it's cool. Um, if you want to be part yeah. of the Create Unknown and you want to ask us questions, go to Patreon.com/slash/theCreateUnknown and join us. And if not, that's totally cool. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Space Cowboys. Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. There's more episode waiting for you. But to keep listening, sign up at patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. You could hear the rest of our conversation, as well as unlock the ad-free feed, get exclusive content, join the Idea Baby Gang, and more. So find us over at Patreon.com/slash/TheCreateUnknown. Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. If you liked what you heard, and I certainly hope that you did, please subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a review on Podchaser and Apple Podcasts. Those reviews really go a long way. While you're at it, you can also watch the video version of this show on youtube.com slash thecreateunknown. Check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. You can get the full episode. You can join the Idea Baby Gang, become one of the known, access creator services. There's a lot going on on our Patreon. It's all part of phase three of TCU. So go to patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. Follow us on social media. We tweet at createunknown. We're on Facebook and Instagram at thecreateunknown. You can follow me, Matt, and the show on Podchaser for podcast updates. You can also find a link to our Discord in the show notes. We love our Discord because we get to talk to you and you get to talk to us. So join our Discord. Our website is thecreateunknown.com. The Create Unknown is an unknown media production. We've been your hosts, Kevin Lieber and Matt Tabor. Check out what we do on YouTube at Vsauce2 and on Twitter at Kev Lieb and Tabor TCU. Links in the show notes. Executive producer is Dave Kiney. Our theme songs by the incredible Mega Drive. Special thanks to Paula Lieber, Mo Lewitt, and Dorothy Kiney. Until next time, see ya space cowboys. Once again, this episode was brought to you by Audible. Pick up your free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown. Do it. Your brain and your ears will thank you.
1: Patreon.com slash the
0: create unknown. It's like an elephant for your ears. That makes no sense.